welcome once again to The Art of Bridging, a podcast series made by the Distant Voices Project. For the last five years, we've been involved in creative collaboration in Scotland's prisons and with communities affected by the criminal justice system, trying to better understand what it's like to come home after prison and asking questions about what needs to change in our society so that everyone has a chance to thrive. In episode one, The Currents, we heard about the kinds of damage that prison can cause and we imagined coming home from prison as being a bit like trying to cross a river full of currents that might pull you under. In episode two, The Stepping Stones, we thought about some of the ways that incarcerated people find to resist the harm that prison can cause laying stepping stones for themselves and others through small acts of protest or care. In episode three, The Foundations, we started to think more about connected communities as foundations for lasting bridges. We heard stories from the kind of restorative and preventative work that addresses deep-rooted problems like inequality, addiction and stigma. Today's episode is called The Columns, and in it, we're going to be reflecting on how creative practice can help spark connection, both between individuals and also between grassroots communities and broader processes of social change. So joining us today from the Distant Voices community, we have Lisa, Alison and Podrig. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. So let's begin with the usual question. Tell us about a song or a piece of music that you're enjoying listening to at the moment. I, at the moment, can't get enough of a song called The Deep Dark, which is by an Edinburgh-based artist called Goodnight Louisa, who has done work alongside Vox. However, aside from that, um, she writes songs that really suit my taste in music. Mistake me for a pale doll Is it the calling of your name From the deep dark The fear that you're a lost cause she has an obsession with the synths in the 80s as much as I do, with an incredibly beautifully haunting vocal that just manages to get across songs in a way that hit you without realising quite how much they're hitting you at the time. A lovely person as well as being able to make amazing music. Good stuff. Alison, what have you got in your headphones at the moment? I have been listening a lot to a new album, or new to me album, released last year called Free Love by Sylvan Esso. It's quite hard to pick out one track, so if I have to choose a track, I'll go with a track called Numb. Shaking out the numb I've been listening to it because it's full of energy and rhythm and the, the voice and beats that I find really energising. They did a great Tiny Desk concert during the pandemic. Ooh. I went to look up. Thank you. Podrick, tell us what you're listening to at the moment. I have been listening to lots of pieces of music from the Irish harpist Turla O'Carolan, who was alive during the 1700s. Um, he was a, a prodigy at the harp and he was blind. He went blind, I think, when he was nine or ten. And his music is just extraordinary. 
two pieces that I've been listening to are his Welcome to Music and his Farewell to Music. He wrote a piece of music to bid farewell to music toward the end of his life. And it's particularly that Farewell to Music that I've been listening to. I'm trying to learn it on the guitar. I've got uh, the tabs for it. And it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the sounds on the guitar. It's it's stunningly beautiful and very simple, but um, filled with, I don't know, yearning and lament and centuries of meaning. That sounds amazing. We'll have to look it up. I love how this, the way that we start the podcast, it's always like such a diverse and broad range of music that people bring to the party. So that is fab. Thanks. So far in the podcast series, we've been listening to and reflecting on songs written in the project, but songwriting is not the only art form that has played a part in Distant Voices. Today, we're going to be listening to a selection of poetry from a collection written as part of a project called Making Things New. So before we listen to our first set of poems, Alison, could you tell us briefly about Making Things New? What did the project look like and what did it aim to do? Making Things New was a a project based within the Unbound community. I think we'll say a bit more about who Unbound is later on. And uh, Unbound worked together with Podrig and myself with the kind of broad aim of writing some poems to uh, engage people who influence change in some of our conversations about crime and justice. And so the the process looked something like us spending a few evenings talking in Unbound about what it means to come home after prison. And Phil had gone through some of the other research material and collated interviews and songs from the wider project that spoke to questions of coming home after prison. And then I had also had a, a sort of deep dive into some of the news reporting on people's homecoming after prison and things that were impacting policy at the time. And then armed with all of that, we went away on a residential for a weekend and we spent the weekend uh, eating nice food and chatting and writing poems. From there, Podrick took what we made on that weekend away and worked to collate a draft collection of poems from that. And then uh, we spent another two evenings uh, at different points over the coming couple of months coming together with Podrig, uh, taking us through the collection as it stood at the time, reading the poems to each other, having conversations about how they they sounded, how they resonated, what they meant. Um, And then some of the conversations that we had on the back of listening to the poems then resulted in other poems. We then took a small set of those poems and uh, some songs also from Distant Voices to a couple of workshops in February 2020, where we had invited people who influence and lead in certain areas of society that we reckon might affect people's experiences coming home after prison. Uh, So there was policymakers, politicians, uh, people in the media, people who who run services that are concerned with, with reintegration and things. Uh, And we shared some of these poems and songs and then we asked the folks gathered for the workshop to themselves participate in making something new in their responses to the the work that they had heard. We wanted to try and engage those people in a different way through making together. The crowded platform with no space to breathe I'm handed by voices all stuck on 
exciting. We'll hear more about that in, in a little moment, but let's get straight to it with the poems and just dive in and listen to a little selection of these and then we'll, we'll come back and chat a bit more. The first things I'll do when I get home. One, be kind to myself. Two, take a deep breath. Three, take my shoes off and feel the grass under my feet. Four, check the weather. Five, check I have tea bags and milk and bread and proper butter. Toilet paper too. No, probably. One, buy a diary. One page per day. A big enough one to list your appointments. Two, check the bus timetable. Does it get you to your appointment on time? What if it breaks down? Take an earlier one. Three, find a job that will let you out for hours between appointments. Four, don't miss appointments. Five, don't ask what the point is, power through. Okay. One, learn the terms of your licence off by heart. Two, get all those documents together. Three, keep your head down. Four, avoid certain places and certain people. Five, get all those documents together. Prove your ID. To prove my identity is impossible. I don't exist. Now my children are adult, I've lost the important things. I feel like I'm viewing life through a portal. It's overwhelming. I'm out of touch with the reality of this new society. My children are adult. I've lost the important things. I can't relate to what's going on. I am an alien, out of touch with the reality of society. Isolated and missing prison. I can't relate to what's going on. An alien in a pace of life that's just too fast. I'm isolated and miss prison. Though I'm out, I feel like a prisoner and the pace of life is too fast. I feel like I'm viewing life through a portal. It's overwhelming. Even though I'm out, I am a prisoner. My identity is impossible. I don't exist. Things to say to put a client to ease. How's your morning been? Got up to anything nice over the weekend? No. I just need what's asked for on the form. How's your other half? I've had a mad morning I can do with a copper. Want one? I just need what's asked for on the form. Can I help clarify anything? Anything new with your kids? No. Tell me about your kids. No. Any news from your kids' teachers? Any holidays planned? That won't work. Has that new relationship been working out for you? How's the exercise been coming on? You're looking well. Any news from your family? <clears throat> I just need what's asked for on the form. Poem about love, number one. In the romance, the social worker asked me. My right hand, I told him, anything for a laugh. He laughed, wrote something down, said at least I'm keeping busy. I said I'm not, I'm bored every single day. Dear careless walker, dear careless walker, I'm jealous of you. 
Taking shortcuts, slipping through the back streets, alleys filled with cats and shift workers, alone in your body, secure in the squeeze of the world, laughing and only a little afraid, innocent of clocks and rumours, and a time before repetition. Oh, how I miss that. As you left them, things might not be where you left them and Linda doesn't work at the co-op anymore. You might be surprised by who has stuck around. Everyone has a phone now, even the kids. Peter doesn't work at the co-op anymore. He had no support. Everyone has a phone now. Even the kids know which boxes to tick and when. There's not enough support and so-called social media isn't very social. Remember, there'll always be that box to tick. Use your phone. Everything's all online now. Social media isn't very social and you'll be surprised by who hasn't stuck around. Everything's online now. Check your email, your phone. Things might not be as you left them. Listening to this first set of poems, was there a particular line or a word or a theme that resonated for you today? I think that last poem really hits me differently uh, now than it did before COVID restrictions and lockdowns. I think the weight of her delivery of the poem in the way that it's recorded and, and the weight of, you'll be surprised at who stuck around. Everything's online now. Things might not be as you left them. Just, I, I don't know, it just it strikes me in, in, a, in a way that it uh, it didn't before experiencing lockdowns. And I don't want at all to suggest that what we've experienced over the last couple of years is, is like imprisonment. But it has changed our lives and things are not as we left them. Mm. Podrick. Was there anything particular that, that jumped out at you today, hearing those poems back? Yeah, I was, um, well, there's so many lines from that, which makes me think of the times when people shared those lines in the workshops. But um, find a job that will let you out for your appointments. That's such an impossible thing to think about. Like find a job and then find a job that will let you out for your appointments. And then the thing about like, um, if there's a likelihood that the bus will be late or it'll break down, get an earlier one. Like the impossibility of that kind of links with a later poem where somebody says, my identity is impossible. And that's a kind of an existential identity, but also the identity of trying to be somebody outside in a job, keeping a job, meeting the terms for ticking all those boxes and staying on top of everything. It's an administrative nightmare and it is almost set up to send somebody back and I suppose I hear the ways within which those poems overlap each other. Administration and learning to become an expert in your own administration is is such an overwhelming burden and and such a, a setup for um, for falling foul of the system. I think related to that, the idea of repetition jumps out at me. That line, uh, a time before repetition from from Dear Careless Walker, but also just the way that the poems are constructed. You know, there are repeated lines that, that can almost gather more weight as they are repeated. Podrig, is that something that you that was a kind of deliberate poetic technique there or something that just happened naturally as people talked? I, I'm very interested in poetic forms and there is an Italian form called a villanelle that takes two lines and just repeats them, tumbles them over each other. And there's a Malaysian form called a pantoum, which takes eight lines and repeats them each twice or modifies them slightly. So it turns into a 16 line poem. 
And one of the things that I'm interested in is how a poetic form tells the truth. And um, <laughs> you can hear somebody practicing their siren. Speaking of repetition, my God. Um, this is a street where a lot of police seem to practice. What does my new siren sound like? Anyway, one of the things that was really clear to me in having conversations over the first weekend, especially, is the way within which time, serving time, increases a certain kind of A, boredom, you heard about that, B, trauma, but then C, a sense of, did this happen before? Did this happen before? And things turning over in your head, loads of time to obsess over whatever it is that you did wrong, whatever it is that you think went wrong towards you, all of those things. And so I was really interested in finding po poetry forms that, that gave space for that kind of obsessive thinking, rethinking, revision, editing. And th those forms of Villanelle and Pantum really worked very well. Any poetry, any art actually pays huge amount of attention to ordinary life rather than ordinary life somehow being of a lesser quality than these elevated forms of poems. I think forms of poetry like Villanelle or Pantum or Sonnet or any of these things, they only work because they echo the kind of things that real life is about. Mm. Mm, it's fascinating. Lisa, was there anything that jumped out at you today hearing the poems? Yeah, I think hearing the first three poems in a row really reinforced that theme of not being human when you come back out of prison. In the first poem, the first verse, he speaks about being kind to himself and all the things that will help him settle in. And then straight away, as soon as that's finished, it actually jumps back to, actually, it's not about me at all. It's about all these other things that people expect of me. So immediately that human element is gone. And then in poem two, Prove Your ID, uh, the line, I don't exist, I'm an alien, comes up. So again, it's just that human element is is, is not there. And then in poem three, things to say to put a client at ease. Uh, I just need what's asked for in the box. So it's someone else actually telling you, I don't really care about what's going on, just tell me this. And so hearing those in a row and really having it reinforced that walking out that door, you're going back into society, but not as not feeling like a person. And to me, that just really reinforces as well society's job in helping people who are coming back, whether that's a social worker or whether that's somebody you go for for a job interview or even yourself telling yourself again I, I am a human I'm a person and I deserve to be able to give this a go it's, it's a new day It's um, really powerful when you hear a few of them juxtaposed with each other and the kind of the overlaps and the themes that you see emerging. Podrick, you led the writing process with a group of people with quite mixed experience. So some of the Unbound community have lived through incarceration and re-entry or seen someone close to them go through that. Some have worked in or around the criminal justice system, often trying to bring change from inside the system. And some of the group have experienced the criminal justice system from more than one perspective. How did the creative process take shape in that context? In the first weekend, we sat around in a big room and I had probably 30 different ideas about how to evoke stories. So to say, tell a story about this or give me one line about that or 
tell me something that was a before or after moment in your life. And I'm always interested in any art workshop in letting the art that you're creating spill from the everyday conversation that you hear. In a certain sense, I was listening for the poetry that emerged as a result of responding. Like that line that's in that um, poem that we heard as he left them, Linda doesn't work at the co-op anymore. I kept on listening, I suppose, to ways within which the powerful, multi-layered poetry of experience of coming home was presenting itself to me. And where somebody would say something and other people would go, oh, hell yeah. And then you go, what's that? And I kept on listening out for that echo in the room. And questions to do with identity were not necessarily ones that I thought we would go there, but it kept on coming up. And everything from, you know, my self-identity, that kind of existential question, then to, do you have an ID card? Because without it, you're screwed. Somebody in one of the sessions said, oh, my mom kept my ID card renewed while I was away. And people were like, what a good woman. Because so much was provided for that person having had a, a valid <laughs> identity card as after having come home. And even that word valid, the opposite of that, opposite of that is invalid. And so I, I suppose I kept on hearing these almost diabolical echoes about the strength of poetry in the stories that people told, as well as great moments of humor and great moments of connection and great moments of survival. Um, that was the creative process for me to have so many prompts and then to listen to where the room said, this is where the art is. Mm, sounds like a beautiful process. Lisa and Alison, you were both part of these writing workshops. Was there a particular memorable moment that uh, you'd like to share or something surprising or interesting that emerged as the poems were being written? It's a simple and obvious part of it. I'm just always struck by the capability of creativity to, to instantly build a foundation for new relationships. As Podrick said, we're talking about a room of people here that have massive amounts of varying life experience and backgrounds who might assume they've got nothing in common with anyone else and nothing in common with poetry, who all of a sudden, um, I remember the first exercise we'd done, literally the first exercise that Podrick ran, instantly got people being fairly open and honest. And that's the magic of it, you know taking a room of very different people and creativity, allowing that room of people to find some connection together. And, you know, when you write things down on a page, they're private. No one no one can really see what you've written if you don't want them to. But then as soon as you speak them, they're, they're out there for people to interpret. But that's when the connection really starts because you don't necessarily need to know why someone wrote something to, to feel it or to have a connection with it. And for me, that's a moment I always love, is just seeing people go, I thought we were very different, and actually there's something here that could could connect us. Mm, I think that's so true about that process of kind of putting something out there and the vulnerability that that involves, but then the way that it, that it opens up the potential for connection. Alison, have you got a memory or a reflection that you'd like to share? When I was starting to think about a moment from that weekend, what I could remember was what we had for dinner on the Friday night and what we had for dinner on the Saturday night and uh, and sharing songs around the fire on, on Saturday evening. So there's something about the, the hospitality in that that really sits alongside the the creative workshops and, and the kind of conversations that are stimulated by making stuff together. I remember on the Saturday afternoon, we'd all uh, ahead of time decided who was leading on what meals and 
There's one woman who's taking part in the workshop who has a Caribbean background and she really wanted to share food from her culture. And uh, Saturday afternoon sort of became this amazing cooking uh, experience for her and a couple of others who got under her lead to make food for us all that shared something of her background and her heritage. And, and that was something that really sticks in my mind as, as a really beautiful part of that coming together and, and sharing ourselves. Uh, so that's one thing from the residential. And uh, one thing from the conversations that followed it that really sticks in my mind was when Martin started telling a story about an in interaction between him and uh, a prison officer a long time ago. Martin's storytelling was sparked by listening to the other poems that had by this point already been created. Um, and he started telling the story of, of an experience that he had that was a sort of seemingly everyday and small encounter that decades later uh, sits with him as a, a, an important moment of being seen and being recognised and being treated well and, and that made a massive difference to him and uh, the brilliance of seeing that come to life in a poem that I think we're going to hear next uh, in the next set of poems, that moment sticks in my mind. What a great link. Let's get stuck into another set of poems. Thanks Alison. There is no such thing as the system. My first day as a social worker, I hear that most people don't feel like they belong to the system. Most people in the system are good. The system sometimes knows it's a system. The system sometimes denies it's a system. When the system denies it's a system, that's when the system does its most powerful work. There are always ways to make the system work for you, provided the system works for you. The system can change. The system has already changed. The system doesn't change. The system is a story that doesn't know its own story. The system's story's fixed. On my first day as a social worker, I learnt about the system and how the system isn't the system for everyone in the system. Ten things the system taught me. You will be branded and it will be sore. You will be brutalised and it will be sore. You will be controlled, and it will be sore. You will be told when you can eat, and it will be sore. You will have limited contact. You will be given a choice to start again, and it will be sore. You will be given support, but you need to comply, which will also be sore. The leash will be tight which will be sore. The process will come to an end, which will offer hope. So if you stay, a day will come when you feel free. Feeling free will likely feel sore. Hope too is sore, the more of it you get. Letter from a Victim, five. Dear, I heard you're out on licence and now I'm nervous going out. Once I thought I saw you on the road and I shouted. God, I shouted. But it was just the neighbour's boy grown tall. If you ever see me, stay away. I know all the things I need to know. It was a one-off crime. You served your time with good behaviour. 
I care and I don't care. I've moved. But still, I worry that I'll see you. Stay away. Bad letter day. I saw my sister's writing on the letter. Sitting in the hall, surrounded by all the other men. Those serving sentences. Those watching those serving sentences. I felt my body trembling as I tore it home. All I saw were words. Dog. Dead. Dog. Dead. Dog. Dead. I couldn't read the sense in what was senseless. I couldn't calm my mind from all the noise from all the boys, with their spoons and forks and knives, and clattering of plates and practising of petty hates and rivalries. I stared at the place where the sunlight hits the wall, hoping it would all go away. I was 18 and brave, not 18 in crime. Maybe people saw, maybe not. We all got news from home from time to time. News of people dying, news of change, news of debt and death and worry. My sister wrote to tell me that my dog was dead and I was gulping sobs instead of casserole. I'd been told I shouldn't cry inside. You sometimes heard a fella try to hide his weeping, maybe late at night, or he saw him fighting back his tears, while men make lots of noise. Bad letter day, I heard the officer say. I looked away, but not from harm. I used my arm to wipe my face. Take the afternoon, son, he said. No to will hear you in the cell. I went, I walked the quiet corridor. I closed the door. I fell onto my bed and I cried because my dog had died. I tried to think of how to thank the man who gave my privacy some privacy. He'd be long retired now, a gentleman, a golfer a man from up the highlands. If I found him, I could shake his hand and thank him. If I wrote to him, I'd write to him and say he gave me dignity that day. If I saw him, I could thank him for the way he made my bad day the kind of bad day I'd survive. Poem about love five. I was petrified my wedding day, afraid that someone would stand up and say, they knew some reasons why we shouldn't be united. I knew that I was frightened when I couldn't do my buttons. I had to ask my best man for a hand. He said, don't worry, man. I know how to shut a talker up. We laughed. I said, don't joke. He said, OK. I'd bought him cufflinks as a thank you. I got them in the shop last month. He said, what's these? I said, they're for keeping your sleeves tidy. He said, no wonder you can't button up your buttons using poofy things like these. We met inside. We never thought we'd see each other here. He said he'd never seen a man more petrified. A little bit of friendship can make a man, you know. He helped me with my buttons, said everything go okay today. I said okay, let's go. Letters from a victim, three. Dear, when you sleep at night, do you still dream? What of? I sleep deeper now. Poem about love, six. You've an awful lovely smile, she says to me, and I says, aye, I've got my pride. 
Don't ever hide it, she says. I says, I survived inside because I rarely smiled. You're outside now, she says. You can let your guard down just from time to time. I looked around the room to check that nobody was looking. I looked at her. I smiled. Another beautiful set of poems. Uh, Briefly, would you all like to just share a little reflection on something that jumped out at you hearing those today? Um, I I love those puffy cufflinks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So many, like, writing poems about love was so important. And that just came from saying, tell me a story of love, you know, somebody that loved you well or just something that you would now call love, even though that might seem too much. Just hearing the kind of stories that came out from that and the kind of ways within which masculinities are played with and hearing people say things like puffy and then because people would know I'm gay going, sorry, Padraig, I I found that hilarious. (laughs) So for me, it was it was a lovely banter um, in in a poetry form and partly including it in poetry form as a bit of banter is a way of saying and trying to redeem the fact that homophobia in prison is not banter. It's brutal, you know? And for me, I was trying to find a way to, to play with that as a gay man. So, uh, yeah, it was those kinds of little moments that really struck me and it's lovely to hear them. That's lovely to hear people's voices. I, you know, uh, all of these poems, while I edited them, and sometimes I might have just modified a word or two. Other times I might have had a lot of input. I, I don't feel like they're in my voice. They're other people's voices. And I, I love hearing the voices. I think it's definitely a collection that's meant to be heard. Um, the Hearing those voices, it's just incredibly moving the different vocal textures and uh, the individuality of each voice. Alison, do you want to jump in? In the first and the second set, um, I was focusing in on the encounters between people in the poems and sometimes real and sometimes imagined people. They're all, lots of them anyway, are are kind of encounters between between folks and and just how full of weight and possibility and danger and hope an encounter can be. I tune in the noise and find the words to say As much as in the first set of poems, in the first three of that set, I heard the theme of sort of dehumanisation and not feeling like a person. In the second set, the last three poems, Bad Letter Day and the two poems about love, had the theme of compassion. And so that sort of flip between the first three poems I heard to the last three poems I heard was quite quite a nice flip to have. That's the direction you want it to go in. But obviously in Bad Letter Day, it talks about the prison officer basically helping a bad day be a bit better and a bit more survivable. And in the first poem about love, we hear him saying a little bit of friendship goes a long way. And then the second one, when he lets his guard down and and smiles because he's been encouraged to do that. Yeah, there's just something about hearing that again. And I have to say the, the letter from a victim, the delivery of that is just so incredibly powerful. I don't think I've ever given a proper listen to that poem out of the set and I regret it because it's just so, so well read and, and delivered 
where you really do feel every single word of it. Mm, the, there are such weighty pauses uh, in the delivery of that one. I think that's part of what makes it resonate so deeply. I just want to ask a little bit about the about part two of Making Things New, where we shared these poems in workshops with politicians and journalists and lawyers and others who work in the justice system. And then we put participants in mixed groups to write something new together in response. What was that like and what? how do you think participants responded to that? It was quite fascinating to have folks come together and respond creatively in the moment in a in a setting that messed with professional identities and roles. And and I think there's something in that that I really want to do more of as we move forward in Box Omnis. One little moment sticks in my mind from uh, the songwriting group that I was involved in, where someone very senior in the civil service said that they were probably the person in the room who could speak with most authority on the system, but they still didn't feel like they were the system. And and I love that honesty. And it asks so many questions about even if those who are seen to be in charge of things don't feel like, you know, that it's not something that they've made or that they feel that they can hugely change. How do we start having conversations that actually um, get to the point of, of starting to shift the way that some systems work? So I think it's a it was a fascinating insight but one that asks so many more questions than it than it gives pointers. Podrick you have a long history of bringing poetry into situations of conflict and violence and exploring with different communities what language and poetry can do to support conflict transformation. The violence we hear in these poems is not primarily interpersonal but systemic, the kind of state violence that restricts movement and severs connections and limits potential, prevents healing and flattens identity. So in your experience, what does poetry offer us in the face of this kind of violence? I think um, one of the original sacraments of being human is language. There's all these theories in anthropology that when pre-linguistic humanoids (laughs) began to realise these things here are in a category, they're dangerous, that's the category, that language began to emerge, first of all, not to describe a fire or to describe an earthquake, but rather danger. And that categories are the first building blocks of language. And then from that, all these other versions come. And one of the things that strikes me in anybody who has been affected by violence in their life, and anybody who has been um, part of a system that is oppressive, and part of a system that carries on an, an imbalance of power, where the people with power are not affected by the powers that they uh, enact and perform. One of the things that I think poetry can do can be to create categories of listening and categories where you can explore language and categories where something called believability is understood and it can create a cocoon of hearing and an almost empathetic space where in the midst of all of the circumstances of not being believed over and over again that have happened and that you anticipate probably rightly will happen, a poem might be a place where a person could imagine this is what it's like to be believed for a little while. And that's a category I think that's really needed. And because it's not just a kind of a pastoral care category, it's a category that needs to be amplified to critique the systems that continue to create situations where a person isn't believed and therefore they're marginalised and therefore they're a victim of a system that is pretty much 
um, committed to continuing to keep them a victim of the system. I think one of the things that those pre- that those poems did was to create a situation to say, here is a single narrative that's actually a deep and powerful critique of a much larger system. And the hope was is that the single narrative could be seen as some kind of, uh, some kind of interruption and critique. And that for me is always the reason why I want to be involved in poetry, because poetry, by doing one small thing, can actually have all kinds of ways within which it goes in unexpected directions. But I don't think any art has one purpose. You know, you don't just write a song because the song is going to change the system. You also write a song because you love to sing. You also write a song because people in all cultures have sung for all time. And so these poems are poems of critique, but they're also poems of celebration, creativity and lament and beauty and tenderness and surprise and shock. It's art that does so many things in so many different ways. And that's one of the things that I think is so important too about art in response to the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system has so many fixed imaginations about its impact. And art, I think, is always interested in the unexpected curiosity, in the unexpected curiosities that can arise as a result of a person using their own innate creativity. And you find all kinds of ways where in a group of community art, like what Vox does, um, collaborations occur and you find yourself collaborating across different identities and creating something that is um, utterly unexpected. And it's the nature of the unexpected, too, that I think is very important in response to writing poems about systemic violence. Because systemic violence preys upon the nature of expected and continued and elongated outcomes of oppression. And it is the interruption of creativity and the unexpected nature of possibility that I think is one of um, art's most audacious actions in the face of systemic violence. Absolutely. That's your words are resonating, I think, with all of us, Podrig. Thank you for uh, articulating that in such a beautiful way. It's time now to visit the Distant Voices archive again and share a lesser known track from the project and the responses of some guest listeners. The poetry we've heard today included the perspectives of victims of crime, an important part of the complex picture of homecoming after prison. Today's song from the archive is a demo from a Vox session with a group of people who have all been affected by crime. The song was written by Andy Robertson and I helped out a wee bit. Here's how Andy describes the track, which is called Nothing Sacred. My song is about the memory, as a teenager, of getting my house broken into. That feeling of your space that you took for granted being violated but also the realisation or thought that the housebreaker and the breakee are not that different. The song talks about collecting ornaments. On the one hand, you have the thief character going around rooting around for things of value to him. But on the other hand, you have people increasingly hoarding up their stuff and building walls to the neglect, maybe, of human relationships and connections. So the idea is that we are different, but the same. Broke a window, crossed a line into the sanctuary 
pins and needles carved a line into your artery Nothing secret, nothing but a distant memory You take yourself apart the day you take a part of me yourself into the night, erase your fingerprints Don't we all just spend our lives collecting ornaments? Build a castle, plant a flag, raise up the barricade Pins and needles, say you're fine and hide the mess you made You've got your tentacles wrapped around my ventricles We are different but identical wish you well My name is Graham McCarricker, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hi, my name is Brunilda. Hi, my name is Martin, and I just listened to Nothing Sacred. I really like this song. Uh, despite having worked at Vox Luminous for a long time, I don't remember listening to this before, so it was really nice to uh, get a new tune into my ears. I really love this song. What I loved was the way the sound is both earthy and fragile, kind of grounded and ethereal and this was Andy's voice in combination with Lucy's voice um, the beautiful accents and the way the voices kind of intertwined and and um, worked together in in a kind of fragile harmony when I saw the name of the song and read what it was about I thought the person who wrote it would be angry but listening to the song you never sense that state of anger there's empathy expressing the lyrics different but identical and wish you well I really like the tune, even though it's simple, but it's very catchy. I really like some of the lyrics, such as steal yourself into the night. To me, it feels as if the writer is saying that the housebreaker is stealing his own life. I might be wrong, but that's what it makes me think. I loved how a song about something that was probably quite a traumatic event was so tender and almost a love letter to the perpetrator, in a way, and that was jarring in, in a really good way. If this song was a bridge, it would definitely connect me with a guy who broke into my house about three years ago. 
And all I want to say is that I wish him well. I liked the way the guitar, you could hear the fingers moving over the strings on the fingerboard. Again, that kind of combination of fragility and earthiness and groundedness. And the song to me was about bodies. There, there were lots of ways in which our physicality was evoked. So the mention of pins and needles, artery, fingerprints, and then, of course, ventricles. And the line, uh, you've got your tentacles wrapped around my ventricles, we are different but identical, was the one that really struck me listening to it because of partly because of the repetition. But then when I read the words, when I read the lyrics, the, this line stood out to me. You take yourself apart the day you take a part of me. So really this song spoke to me about the ways we are intertwined and interconnected. Lyrically, I really liked the bit about uh, tentacles and ventricles and identical. Those lyrics talk about the intertwining of things and the actual rhyme of the words feels like they're tangled up together in the way they come out, and that's really nice to my ears. Musically, the song and uh, vocally reminded me a little bit of Frightened Rabbit, who I'm a big fan of, and um, that was really nice to to have something to hang the song on, I guess, and something that I'm familiar with and really like. Erasure fingerprints is like erasing your identity and individuality. I also feel that the writer has realised that his possessions don't mean as much as they thought they did, as the lyrics say, nothing sacred, nothing but a distant memory, and spend their lives collecting ornaments. The song surprised me in a good way and got me thinking about what's important to me. Well, we have squeezed the juice out of every moment available to us and now we're out of time. Huge thanks to the Vox Unbound community, to Alison, Lisa and Podrig for your insights and to Podrig for bringing the soundscape that made us feel momentarily like we might be in New York. Thanks to our guest listeners, Diana, Brunilda, Martin and Graham and to Andy for sharing Nothing Sacred. Excitingly, we've just found out that the poetry collection that you heard part of today is going to be published by Tapsaltiri Press in 2022, so keep an eye out for that. The fragments of music that you've heard today are all from a brand new release that came out this week. The Echoes EP was written by the Unbound community with Chris Drever, Johnny Common and C. Duncan. You can find it and lots more music on the Vox Luminous Bandcamp page. Thanks so much for listening to The Art of Bridging. Take care and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>